This is ACB Media, the broadcast home of the 2022 ACB Conference and Convention. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello and welcome to the Employment Committee's Social Security presentation. My name is Brooke. I am the committee chair. I'm Brooke Jostad. And I'm here with Lori Scharf and Chris Peterson, our wonderful panelists for today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves in a moment. So again, this is the Employment Committee, and this is part two. We did this a few years ago, and it seemed like it was a success. And so we're opening this up again. This is a discussion on navigating SSI and SSDI while also navigating part-time, full-time employment. Also discussing ABLE accounts and other options. The first 45 minutes is just going to be um, questions that our panelists are going to answer. And then the last 30 minutes is going to be an opportunity for you to raise your hand in the virtual room and ask your questions. So please hold all your questions to the last 30 minutes. I'm going to ask Chris Peterson to go ahead and start. Introduce yourself. What do you do and what brings you to this panel? Hi, thanks, Brooke. My name is Chris Peterson. I'm the founder and CEO of Penny Forward. We are a nonprofit organization whose mission is to help blind people navigate the complicated landscape of personal finance through education, mentoring, and mutual support. Right now, we offer self-paced online courses, members-only group chats where you can receive uh, more hands-on coaching than you would through a self-paced online course, and access to one-to-one coaching for financial and career-related topics if you feel you need that kind of help. Um, We do that by charging a small fee for membership, and uh, if you're interested in finding out more about that, um, you can go to pennyforward.com slash membership and read about how to join and also about the discount that we're offering during the convention season. Uh, I come to this panel because I'm a financial educator teaching people about how to make, manage, and grow their money. And what I hope for all of us in the blind community is for us to uh, have a a higher standard of financial health and also for uh, you know us to to build wealth and what i think building wealth is 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 not getting rich but uh being financially healthy enough to be able to um take advantage of rare opportunities weather tough times and generally excuse me generously support causes that we deeply care about and i'll turn it back to you brooke Thank you, Chris. And then Lori Sharp, will you please introduce yourself, what you do, and what brought you to this panel? Sure. Hi, everybody. I'm Lori Scharf. I um, have a um, LLC called Access to Employment and Information. Um, And I got involved with uh, benefits planning and work incentives and those types of things partially through my work with the American Council of the Blind of New York when I lived in New York, as well as my activities as a social worker 
and needing to understand how and why clients of mine were having issues with uh, different situations. So currently, I, um, through access to employment and information, which is part of the American Dream Employment Network, which is a national employment network for people with all types of disabilities, I do take it to work. Um, So that involves, uh, you know, career exploration, resume assistance, um, and benefits counseling and things like that. So um, benefits counseling is something that I think a lot of times people need but are not offered through rehab, vocational rehab providers. And it's definitely something that should be utilized by people to help them understand the uh, situations they may find themselves in. All right. Thank you so much. Now we're oh, gonna I'm have... sorry, Brooke. I'm sorry. And if I could just say, I am a certified work incentive practitioner since 2012. Thank you for that information. So we're going to have five questions. Each panelist is going to get a chance to answer. Um, we're going to spend about six minutes, seven minutes, give or take on each question. The first one is just introducing terms. So I'm going to ask each of you, can you please summarize SSI versus SSDI versus ABLE accounts and and what those three things are for our listeners? Sure. This is Lori. I will start. Um, SSI is um, Supplemental Security Income which is basically like public assistance for people who have a qualifying disability, including blindness. Um, And social security disability insurance is an insurance program that you personally or a um, adult who may be responsible for you has enough quarters of coverage, which then allows you to be covered under their policy. um, And that, is uh, social security disability insurance. So it's more like an insurance policy. When applying for SSI, um, you can become eligible for that the month you know after you apply. With social security disability insurance, you have a waiting period of five months. So say you stopped working in January, you'd have to, you can apply, but you're, you wouldn't become eligible for five more months. Um, and so that's um, basically Medicare, um, SSI and SSDI in, an, in a very small nutshell. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's a good good way to say it. Uh, Another thing that I tend to tell people is SSI uh, tends to be more applicable if you have never worked before, Mm -hmm. although this is not always true. And SSDI tends to be more applicable if you have worked before and have left the work world for some reason, although that's also not always true. And it's also important to know that some people receive benefits from both programs, which can be a little bit confusing, but it's important to know because there's um, some work incentives that are different across programs. So if you're receiving both, uh, you may 
have different results than somebody that's receiving benefits from one or the other. I want to talk about ABLE accounts briefly because, Brooke, you asked about that. Uh, ABLE accounts are special savings and investment accounts that you can set up that allow you to uh, save and invest more than you would be allowed to otherwise. If you are on a program like SSI, which is called a means-tested benefit, um, you are not allowed to have uh, you aren't allowed to have a lot. Um, it's right around $2,000 in the bank uh, or $2,000 worth of stuff that you own uh, unless it is in an ABLE account. And then you are allowed to have up to $100,000 and still continue receiving those benefits. But even if you aren't receiving SSI, there are still benefits to having an ABLE account Um that have to do with taxes. And it's a very, very large subject to go into. Um, And so I'll try to keep it brief by saying that ABLE accounts are very powerful tools, uh, no matter who you are, if you're blind, um, and they are worth checking out in in more detail. And if I could just add to that, uh, the blindness would have occurred prior to the age of 26 right now. There is a movement to increase the age to 46, but that has not yet happened. Um, Additionally, another protection would be that enable accounts asset would not be counted for purposes of Medicaid or um, supplemental nutrition assistance or SNAP. Thank you for that information. That's good to be aware of and not something I knew. So Thank you for that. Now I'm going to give you the first case study. I am in this scenario unemployed. I have not been employed for a while. I'm on SSI. I also have, you know, SSDI. I have benefits. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate going to work, going back to work, or going to work for the first time. What what do I need to consider? I'm lost. Well, the first thing that you want to consider is how much you are receiving from SSI and from SSDI. And this is probably the most complicated case you could have picked. Yes, to start I with. agree. I think um, maybe we should separate them. <laughs> yeah. So let's take a step back and uh, talk a little bit about SSI because uh, SSI is, uh, as as I said earlier, a program that's primarily aimed at people with very low incomes who have never worked before or who have worked in a way that hasn't contributed to their social security disability insurance policy. And in that case, you are receiving um, uh, around $800 a month. Um, I know the amount just went up and I am sorry to say that the exact amount just slips my mind right at the moment. But uh, if you start working, um, you will have your benefits reduced by $1 for every $2 that you make. So it's to your advantage to work because you will earn more money. But there are a lot of work incentives available to you like Ticket to Work 
um, that can help you to retain more of that SSI paycheck uh, while you're working, at least for part of the time. And the goal there isn't to continue receiving benefits forever, although sometimes you may need to for medical reasons or, or, or other things. Uh, the goal on Social Security's part is to get you into a job that is going to help you survive. And ideally, they would like you to transition off of those benefits and um, into a job that's paying you enough that you don't need them anymore. And I'm going to be straight and just let you all know that Lori knows way more about this than I do. So I'm going to turn it over to her to explain further. Okay. So I think you did a really good job at explaining SSI. Um, you know, there is basically a formula that gets used and they look at both your earned and unearned income as well as your assets. So before we spoke about an ABLE account, and that's one reason you could put money into an ABLE account and it wouldn't be counted when looking at your assets for SSI. Um, so now with social security disability insurance, you, um, you have what's called trial work months. And so in 2021, for example, you used a trial work month or work period if you use if you earned $950 or more. In 2022, it's $970. And that's for blind and non-blind individuals. And that's gross income before taxes, not net. There's no way to reduce that, um, you know, as, as uh, people may be familiar, there is what's also called a substantial gainful activity level. And that is different for blind and non-blind people. Um, so um, that is a figure that people frequently refer to is the substantial gainful activity or SGA. And in that case, um, that would come after you use your trial work months and after you have a grace period. And so for um, blind people, it's $2,260 gross income for 2022. Um, and basically, during the trial work period, you can earn as much as you want. Social Security really does not care. Those nine months are accrued in a 60-month period. So basically, say you work two months out of the year as, you know, Santa Claus in the mall. Well, if you only work two months and you're Santa Claus in the mall, you may not be using a trial. I mean, you may be using two trial work months, but, you know, those months that you're not working, they don't count. And then when you get to that five-year period, you're going to kind of gain back one of those trial work months. Um, it's a little confusing. It's much easier to show people on paper, um, you know, but it's now once you use your, your trial work months and your grace period, then you enter what's called your expanded um, period of eligibility. I had an acronym in my head and I'm looking at it on the paper and I said, what is it called now? <laughs> 
And that's 36 months. And those are continual, whether you're working or not. So like in my example before, if you were working in November and December as Santa Claus, you, um, you know, you, you had your two trial work months, but say they extended it and you became the Easter bunny also for the month of March and April, that would expand your pay, but it also would expand the trial work months you used. And in that case, you would be using up even in the months that you don't work. Once you've ended your grace period, you would be using up your try your expanded period of eligibility, even in the months that you're earning zero income. So that's a little confusing, but it is still a work incentive because in any of those months where you're not earning an amount, you are eligible for benefits. So that is a work incentive to be aware of. Often we hear about, um, impairment related work expenses. And those I encourage people to start reporting at the time of work so that they get in the habit of reporting them. And those are ways to reduce your income after you've used your trial work months and your expand your um, grace period. So that would be things like in the case of SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance, specialized transportation, not just the public bus, unfortunately, which I kind of stink, I think stinks for us blind people because it's not like we could drive if we wanted to, but specialized transportation, trans, uh, specialized transportation to and from doctor's appointments, medication co-pays, doctor co-pays, things like that. All those expenses add up. So that is something that could be a way to reduce what's called your countable income after you've finished that grace period. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail about these types of things, but again, if you're working with a certified work incentive practitioner, this is something that we can help you track, um, you know, and help you come up with things and make sure they get reported to social security. Um, the other thing to be aware of is um, that there also are provisions that if you lose your cash benefits and you're working and you've finished your expanded period of eligibility, there is what's called expedited reinstatement. And that allows you to go and apply for social security disability again, as long as your disabling condition continues and you apply based on the fact that you had your your old conditions disabling condition again um and you would be able to reinstate your benefits and there there is a termination point as to when you would no longer be able to do that but it's it's about 5 years um so it it is another way of adding some level of assurance that you would have some financial income if you were to become disabled again Thank you. And just a quick addendum question. What is the, um, 
what are the steps to get connected with a work incentive program specialist? Individuals can request uh, it to meet with a work incentive practitioner through their vocational rehabilitation agency. Also, um, employment networks very often have, uh, well, most of them have certified work incentive practitioners. Um, so it is definitely something that can be requested. Unfortunately, it's very sad that it's not a required service. So it doesn't have to be provided, um, which I think really does the client a disservice in a lot of ways. And I also can give my contact information at the end. Okay. All right. So the next scenario is related to I'm working part-time. I'm working 10 hours a week, 10 to 20 hours a week as Santa Claus, as well as, as a food service worker. Um, I've received some reduced benefits as a result but I'm considering taking the plunge into full-time work. I got offered a Easter bunny gig. That's going to really put me over the edge. And I'm going to be at 40 hours. How do I navigate that in terms of benefits? So Chris, would you like to discuss this a little um, only because it, or I'm not sure if you want me to do it or not, because it would really, well, it could apply to SSI and SSDI, but if you want to take the SSI part. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about SSI. First of all, if, if all you've been receiving is SSI up to this point, um, then your benefits are going to be reduced again by $1 for every $2 you make $2 you make. And so your paycheck is going to go up probably by quite a bit. Um, and that's going to make your SSI paycheck go down, but you are going to earn more money. It's it's as simple as that. Um, and, and so there's probably not a lot to be worried about. The advantage to doing this also is that you are paying more money into the social security system. There is a part of our paychecks called FICA that goes towards social security and Medicare benefits. Basically what you're doing is you're paying for your own uh, social security disability insurance policy. Um, and you're paying for your own future use of, of Medicare benefits. So by paying more into the system, you are making yourself eligible for higher benefits later. This is important to know because if you stopped working, say, five years down the road or three years down the road, you should know that you'll probably move from SSI onto SSDI, and that'll mean a quite a bit larger benefit check. So there's advantages to doing this, even if you aren't sure that you're going to be able to do it forever. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, Chris. I thought you were finished. I was just going to add with SSI, you also have what's called blind-related work expenses or BWEs, blind impairment related work expenses. And that um, is a very broad category with a lot of things that people tend to overlook. And again, that's a way to reduce your income. Additionally, 
those impairment related work expenses when you are the blind related work expenses come off differently than when you're not blind, which I would like to mention that anybody, whether on SSI or SSDI, when they're exploring work should get what's called a benefits planning query from social security. And that document allows a work incentive practitioner to review with you what you see on there. So the trial work months I talked about earlier, you would be able to see, have you used any of those in the last five years? Um, Also, it would show if you previously have used impairment related work expenses or blind related work expenses. And, um, you know, that also can be helpful. Um, With regards to SSDI, basically, I kind of equate it to falling off of a cliff. So it's not like a gradual reduction in benefits. It's more either you're on benefits or you're off benefits. And really, this falls into a lot of you as the individual who's working, reporting your income by the 10th of the month after you earn it. And it's gross income again for both SSI and SSDI. And the more you report those earnings on time, the better it is for you as the person because Social Security sees that you're earning it. Also, um, when Chris was mentioning before about SSI and working, okay, so you're a young adult, you're 16 years old, and you do a nice gig earning some money. SSDI, when you're 30 years or younger, has a less, it, there's, it, you have to have less quarters of coverage, basically, to become eligible for SSDI. So very often, I am finding young adults now who, because they've taken work experience through rehab, or they have found employment on their own over the summer, they are quickly becoming eligible for SSDI and SSI. So, you know, that is something to keep in mind. And they are building their retirement, which is so nice to see. Yeah. And I I just want to mention to add to that, I um, I know that this topic is seems very complicated and and it is and it's great that we have people like Lori that you can work with to untangle it for yourself and i would really encourage people to do that for their own situation because everybody's situation is unique and uh um having a, another pair of eyes looking at your situation is going to help you uh find those things that you're eligible for that you may not notice on your own however if you want to read more about this There's something called the Red Book that's published by the Social Security Administration. It's online, and the URL is complicated enough that I don't want to give it here. But if you go, if you simply Google Social Security Red Book, it's going to pop up right at the top of your search results. It is pretty easy to read and very well organized and covers these cases kind of in the same way we're covering them here, um, where it explains pretty well what happens if you're getting SSI only and what kinds of work incentives are available to you? What happens if you are getting both or what happens if you are getting just SSDI? 
and what kinds of work incentives are available to you. And and it covers this topic of blind work expenses Mm -hmm. and impairment-related work expenses pretty well and even gives you some examples of, of ways you can use them. But don't stop there because someone like Lori is going to be able to help you to identify all of those expenses that um, maybe even though they don't appear as examples in the in the red book uh, may still be countable as as uh, blind work expenses or or impairment related work expenses um, and can help you to uh, reduce your countable income so that you can get a larger benefit check while you're still working. Um, and that can be really important for people. Um, the, the situation gets even more complicated if you're, you know, if you have a, a need to stay on Medicare or Medicaid, uh, because of medical issues. Um, and, uh, so and, I, I just want to say again, find someone like Lori and talk to them. And, and there are some really good provisions, to help people maintain coverage, whether it be through Medicare or Medicaid, um, you know, and very often employers do have some level of coverage. It may not be the greatest. It may not meet your needs. You may decide you want to keep um, Medicaid in addition to your employer coverage or Medicaid, Medicare um, and pay into the coverage. But you know, you can keep your Medicare for up to eight and a half, little over eight and a half years. It's like eight years and nine months, something like, something like that. So um, even if you're on social security disability, it's not going to just go away. You know, you would have a premium, but you know, that this is all stuff that can be explored. It's, it's something scary, but I always say to people, if you're paying into the system, you're going to get out from the system later on. And that's ultimately, you know, to better things for yourself financially, what the goal is. And I think way too often people have these stumbling blocks of, I can't work because I don't want to lose my benefits. Or, you know, I live at home with somebody and we rely on my food stamps and my cash benefit. And that's how my family balances their budget. But you know what? Your 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 cash benefit may go down if you're on SSI, but what's going to come into your household is going to increase. So thank you for that. And thank you for explaining really the incentive. Cause I think it can be a very anxiety-inducing process. So really oh, yeah. reminding people <laughs> why? Why are we doing this? Why are we trying to work more? And just a quick follow-up, this wasn't on your uh, sheet that I offered you of the questions I was going to ask, but you guys are competent. Um, When people are, at what point does it become, or does it become too late? You know, let's say I'm 61 years old or 59 and I've, I'm really thinking I've been on SSI most of my life. Is it worth it? Should I consider it? It's totally worth it. Um, if there's an opportunity that comes up and this happens to people quite often, um, I, I can think of a, a friend who was, uh, working in his early uh, life. Uh, this is a totally blind person, ACB member. Um, he lost his job because the job was no longer available in the area that he lived in anymore. And he spent over 10 years looking for a new job. 
even went back to school and did some other things to try and increase his chances and then ended up finding a, 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 a you know, another job um, after a 10 year long struggle at about 48 years old. And even if he, even if he does that at 48 years old, like I said, it's going to increase his, his benefits that he receives from social security. If he stops working again later or when he retires. So bringing in that extra cash is, is maybe uh, fear inducing now, but it's going to pay off big later. I want to repeat that again, because while this may reduce your benefits now, it's going to increase them later and it's going to make your life better. So it's totally worth it. Lori? So using uh, Brooke's example of somebody who's 61 years old, well, you know, maybe they're on SSI, but maybe they're on SSDI. We really don't know. And in this case, say it's 61, they go back to work. They work for seven years. Well, we're going to say eight years. They work for eight years, some full-time, some part-time. They're paying into the system. At 68, they're going to get a bigger benefit than they would have on SSI, even with that eight years worth of employment, because they're past their full retirement age. And if it was social security disability that they were on, they just earned eight more years of coverage. While they may not be their highest earning years, with retirement, they look at at your um, a percentage of your your highest earnings. So it's not like okay, you know, you didn't work for this amount of years. Yeah, those years count as zeros, but the other years they look at your earnings, and they would increase your benefit again. And we're talking the difference between say eight hundred dollars a month and say. $1,600 a month or $2,000 a month. I mean, this, this is not just a small increase. This, this could be a very, very large increase uh, just by putting in a little bit of time at work. So if, if the opportunity comes up, I, I hope you'll take it. Thank you. Now I want to address for our last question before we open it up. I've heard from a lot of people that after they start working or after they're no longer on SSI, they are requested to pay back the Social Security Administration. Back payments have been a major concern for a lot of people. Can you explain how this happens, your understanding of it, and what to do if you get contacted that you owe $15,000 to the IRS? So... Um, Apologies, the Social Security Administration, <laughs> not the IRS. We're not talking about taxes right now. Um, I've been audited. I, that was nerve wracking. Yes. Um, so with Social Security, overpayments can happen. Again, that is why it's so important to report your earnings on time. Keep receipts that you reported it. Now you can email your pay to Social Security. It's actually a fax number that you email and they're able to get it that way. Um, but definitely get a receipt. You have two options that are outlined in the letter when social security contacts you in writing to explain that you have an overpayment. You have a waiver, which is basically saying, I want this waived. I don't want to pay this. 
Um, if you're, if the amount is over a thousand dollars as of 2022, it, I'm sorry, 2021, that request has to be in writing. So I know sometimes blind people are like, oh, I don't want to put it in writing, but you know what? Rules is rules. And if it means you keep a thousand dollars or you give it back, sometimes it's best to uh, comply with those strange rules. You also have a reconsideration, which is um, basically when they review your case. And then you also can appeal both of those. Um, and there is an administrative law judge process. Um, you know, that's a higher level and, and takes longer. Also, when you file within the time outlined in the letter that you get from Social Security. And if you are a Braille reader, that should be, and Social Security has your file coded as being a Braille reader, you should get that in Braille or large print. You um, have a certain amount of time. And as long as you file within that amount of time, you all your benefits should continue without them taking anything out. That also, if you are working and you know, earning well above or something, something like that, you may be also incurring further overpayment in that situation. So again, it is important to work with a benefits counselor or consult with somebody that actually knows things. Um, I would like to say, like, don't look for those things that like websites that say like disability secrets. And that's, I'm sorry, if I see a website like that, that's fishy. Don't believe anything you read there. Um, You know, really reach out to a certified practitioner who can help you kind of navigate these types of things. I don't have much to add to that, except to say that this happened to me when I started working, I was on social security from about 1996 until 2002. And during that time I was in college and I worked part-time some, some of the time, some of that was a, uh, um, just a part-time job. And some of that was like college work experience. And uh, it was very simple to ask for a re uh, uh, a reassessment. You know, I went into the social security office, um, gave them all of the records that I had, and it's incredibly important to keep good records. I was not very good at this when I was young, but I fortunately did have uh, at least enough that I was able to get my overpayment reduced to something manageable for me at the time. So, uh, you know, keep good records, uh, bring them in, mail them in, whatever you got to do, but at least ask, uh, cause it, it can be reduced if not waived entirely. And, and, you know, like Lori said, and like I keep saying, find someone like Lori to help you. It makes it a lot easier. The, the other thing I would just like to add is, you know, record keeping really is so essential and you really can do yourself a service, not only in this area, but in other areas of your life, when it comes to keeping good records, you also should, you know, really not ignore things. I know sometimes people can get nervous and they just, they're overwhelmed and they don't know what to do. You know, it is important to really be take action and be proactive. And, you know, that's also being responsible. I did want to also mention with regards to SSI specifically, there is for students 22 and under a special 
um, work incentive that is really beneficial to students. And it's the student is earned, the income. earned income. Student earned credit? income. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is really, really beneficial. And I find a lot of students may overlook that or not even apply for SSI because they think if they're going to work as a paid internship, it may not be worth it, but it, it really is. Because again, you know, you do two, two or three summers, you've got maybe four work credits throughout the school year and the, the internships. And at 22, you may become eligible for SSDI, which brings a whole other level. So it's, really confusing and and very complex but it is important to be aware of these little things that can be helpful another thing that lori told me before the uh before the call is that uh, a very large percentage of blind people that are receiving social security benefits aren't recognized as blind by the oh yes social security administration just because their file is coded wrong and that can hurt you because there are extra incentives available to people who are blind uh, that are different from people with other types of disabilities. So it's important to make sure that the social, uh, the social security administration knows that you're blind. And that, that is something that getting that benefits planning query, it does say that right on there. Um, So that, you know, that is another reason to get one of those. And unfortunately, Last time I checked, which is about a year and a half ago, those were not available in accessible formats. So that would come to you in print. Well, all of this has been helpful. I've learned a lot and I imagine our listeners have as well. And so now I would like to open it up for people to ask questions. I'm going to close us out of the question and answer at five minutes until we are ready to end. So that would be 310. And then I don't think I did that right. Sorry, 340. (laughs) I'm doing a weird time change in my head and I did it wrong. 340 and then we will close out. So any questions, go ahead and raise your hand and you will be unmuted. Okay, our first person with a question is Anthony. Hey, hey. So I'm one of those people that you were speaking about earlier. Um, up until very recently, I never heard about benefits counseling or anything to, to that effect. And I turned down a couple of contract positions over the last couple of years, thinking that that would screw up my benefits, especially my medical coverage, because with contract positions, you're not often, um, you're not often offered medical benefits to go along with it. So I've recently been getting a lot of the information you were talking about today. I was wondering, two-prong, if you could speak a little bit about contract positions and if, if there's anything special you need to know about that, especially when it's terms you were talking about paying in and, and still be able that I'm really interested in. And the second piece is, you know, with the work, work world changing, I, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that say, you know, turnover rates in a lot of the big companies are at the point, you know, they're at like 80, 90% of turnover in one year. Um, they even said Amazon is at like at 150% rate. So what happens if you work for like a year and a half making a good amount of money and then bam, you're out of a job? So those are my, my that's my two prong question. Okay, sure. So contract work, I'm a little hesitant to go into that because it would be like self-employment. 
And when you're 1099, that's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> so we can talk all right <laughs> offline <laughs> about this because basically what would happen is you have additional work incentives. So you have you would have access to the taxes that you pay would become a work incentive. And because you're self-employed, you'd be paying uh, both sides of the FICA, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Um, it, so it would be double what you would pay if you were employed by an employer. So you're paying the employer and employee half. So it's like 14 and a half percent or something like that. So, you know, it it's confusing. Uh, the other thing is, is unpaid work, unpaid help can be deducted. Um, you know, it's very complex, but we can talk about it offline. Um, yeah. So it's definitely doable. And if it's medical coverage, it's probably more doable. Um, are you on Medicare or Medicare and Medicaid? Oh. Oh, Is did that, she mute me? No, you're good, Anthony. Oh, yeah, I'm on both. You're on both. Okay. So um, so Medicaid, I'd have to look to see what your state has. Um, but again, um, there's something called the Medicaid buy-in for working people with disabilities. And that's a way to preserve Medicaid at a higher level than what's called community Medicaid. So sometimes people say, oh, I can't do that because it's more than the federal benefit rate. Well, no, that's not always the answer. There's ways around it. And you should probably look at an ABLE account. Um, okay. You know, you. if that's possible, I don't know in your case that it would be, um, but we can talk. Yeah. And, and, uh, I also could probably help you with some of this, Anthony, not, um, uh, more on the, on the tax side and the financial side than the, the benefits side. But, uh, um, I certainly, uh, feel comfortable with talking about things like, uh, you know, you asked how is paying in different and Lori kind of alluded to this, but, uh, I, I want to cover it briefly when, um, when you work for a company as an employee, not as a contractor, uh, the company pays payroll taxes and you also pay taxes out of your own paycheck. So some of those payroll taxes uh, go towards uh, FICA, which, as I said earlier, was, is uh, what pays for Social Security and Medicare. If you're a contractor, the company that you work for doesn't pay any payroll taxes, which is why... Lori said you end up paying the the employer's side. So as a contractor, you pay more in, in uh, taxes, but you are still paying into the system. So uh, all of the things we said um, about, you know, it being worth it to work because it'll increase your benefits later if you, uh, if you leave the working world, all of those things are still true. It's just how you, how you manage them that ends up working differently as a contractor. Thank you. Okay, next we'll go to Rosanna. Chris, I had a similar situation to what you did. Um, I was out of work for a very long time. I did work in different places, and then I was unemployed and on SSD. SSD for, um, oh my gosh, I guess it's been a very 
a long time now, maybe 15 years. And um, I'm 65 and I am going back to work starting Monday. And while I'm excited about going back to work, I am kind of nervous about the situation because I am that 65 age. And if I were to work, let's say another five years, and then I'll be 70, I'm not gonna be able to get SSD at 70, what happens? Does it just melt into social security? Am I gonna get less? What's gonna happen then? Uh, Rosanna, it's a great question. Um, I hope that you'll take the time to email me. Um, Brooke, am I allowed to give out a business email address? You yes. can. Okay. Um, it's real easy. It's it's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, okay. at, at pennyforward.com. Um, pennyforward.com, okay. Yes. There's an interesting, Lori may know more about this than I do, but there's an interesting okay. provision of how they calculate your retirement benefits that if you're working after age 65, uh, they calculate your, based on your working years, um, uh, that started at age 65. Um, Jim Gashel and uh, Mark Maurer at the NFB wrote an interesting article about this, and, and I can send it to you. Um, but the short answer to your question is, is, is that no, it's not all going to melt away when you, when you stop working or at age 70, you can start collecting social security retirement benefits. And, uh, those benefits will be higher because you worked. Um, and almost certainly they will be higher than what you are receiving now before you go to work. And Lori, do you have anything to add to that? I first of all want to say, can you send me that article too? Um, <laughs> certainly se- can. Secondly, um, basically, when you're you working at age seventy, you um, you know you definitely would be past your full retirement age, which would increase your social security by six percent. So, you know, these are all things to be aware of. And I can't think of many places that you're going to get a 6% increase. I know I can't either. For waiting to to collect something. So, I mean, that in and of itself is, you know, very beneficial. The likelihood of it not benefiting you is slim to none. Well, that really helps because I was afraid I was going to be a loser in this case. And that's, you know, that's what I guess I was worried about. You will not. Thank you. Okay, next we'll go to Ann Harrison. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you. So um, I need to talk to somebody offline too because I'm thinking I'm, well, free, working toward building my freelance editing business and I'm an author and I need to know, A, I've got a question. A, what are the benefits of starting your own business when you're on SSDI? And B, um, how do I apply for an ABLE account? Lori can answer the first question very well because she does this, I believe. And I can talk about the ABLE account part when we get there. So um, what state are you in, Anne? I'm in Georgia. Okay. So um, you 
may want to look into finding out about what kind of corporations there are in your state, you know, what would be the best way for you to go, you know, is it a limited liability corporation? Um, Is it a sole proprietor? Like what, you know, what options that, you know, I, unfortunately, I don't really have the ability to help you with that type of thing. But really check with like the small business administration. I'm working with a score mentor right now and I'm fabulous. They're great. Yes. Oh my gosh. He is awesome. And I can text him with any questions. That's great. Um, and you know, really you um you may want to request. Are you working through VR at all? Yes. Um, actually I started a new case with them. But they're really short-staffed right okay. now. And so I definitely you- want to talk to her, my counselor, about this kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. So you may want to request uh, benefits planning counseling so that you can come up with, um, you know, like what expenses. In, and again, it's going to depend on, is it better for you to have a corporation and draw a salary from the corporation? Or is it better for you to have a corporation and um, I'm not wording this right, but oh. sole proprietorship versus a right and and co- figure, right figure out like financially what would work better for you. Um, and it may be you know some of it might be dependent on your age, but we certainly could talk and figure something out um, with you, um, Chris and I. I think would be good in a case working with somebody like you because we have different areas of expertise but the reason i i want to do business because finding a job as a writer or an editor you have to have certain criteria and some of those criteria i don't have working for corporate and as a and as a business owner i'd have more control Right. You have the ability to pick and choose what you want to take as a sign. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I have my own um, value system and core. And one of the things I do want to give a shout out to score. That is one thing that vocational rehabilitation or any of these uh, small business courses mm-hmm. like through the Hadley Institute do not tell you about. And I encourage any any entrepreneurs out there to go to score.org, find a um, the SCORE office in your area and connect with a SCORE mentor and take some of their webinars and stuff because you're going to learn a lot more and they're going to, and the mentor is going to break it down for you. And even, SCORE even has a startup roadmap thing that you can do. And are you, are you, uh, are you a member of Ivy? Not yet, but I, I don't know. Do I need to be a member before I start the business or no? I'm thinking away. Okay. No, but I think Ivy, uh, Ivy is the uh, affiliate, uh, the uh, right. independent visually impaired entrepreneurs af- affiliate. Um, right. I think being connected with them would be a great way for you to network and, and learn yes. what other business I owners agree. have done. I would also just personally love to hear from you because I love it that you're having such great luck with your score mentor. And um, I would... I would like to hear more about how that's going for you just for my own personal education. So um, I also can, can talk to you a little bit about uh, opening up an able account. The short version of that is uh, the first step is to choose where you want to open up your able account. You can sometimes have additional benefits by opening an able account in the state that you live in. Um, I don't know if Georgia has, 
has additional benefits for that, but that's the first thing to check into. But you're not obligated to, or you don't have to open your ABLE account in your state. So there's uh, 45 or so states now that have ABLE programs. Many of them allow out-of-state participants. So if you like one better than another, for some reason, like the fees are lower, they offer the features you want, um, then you can open uh, your ABLE account in that state. As far as the process is concerned, it's usually a pretty simple online application. Uh, If you've ever opened up a checking account or a savings account online, it's going to be a pretty familiar process to you. I've never done um, it online. I've tried to do it over the phone, but I've never done it online. Okay. Okay. It's yeah. It's a yeah. little. It's a little easier because they've really worked hard at at making yeah. it a streamlined online process. Um, but the the you can go to Able National Resource Center, and there they list all the different states and the different Able programs. And like Chris said, you can check out the different types. The other thing that I did want to mention is that the funds that you withdraw from an ABLE account that you use and you take out from an ABLE account need to be used for you and you only. So I can't take funds out and buy Chris 10 pounds of Godiva chocolate for his birthday, but I could buy myself 10 pounds of Godiva chocolate for my birthday. Or I could take the money out of the ABLE it with the, with the able account it just has to be used for you it can't be used for someone else yeah otherwise you would be taxed on it right what i was going to say is i could Perfect. take money after the uh, out of the able account to get an editor for my own books for example yes um for your own personal books not for your right. business books no right 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 correct yeah and, right. But but the other side of that is, you know, you'd really also have to look at, is it better financially to reduce the assets of the business? Yeah. So, th- so that's, that's one of those tough things. One. <laughs> it is. It, 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 yeah. It's, we just don't have time for the, all of the nuances, but uh, you know, for those that are listening and, and uh, also wondering about similar things, if you if you have a corporation, say an LLC or an S corp or a C corp, essentially that's a separate entity from you as a person. It pays its own taxes. Um, it's treated differently from from a tax perspective, and and some of the way that that works has to do with the type of corporation it is. Um, but it also owns its own stuff. So you, your business could own its own computers, its own uh, cars, um, a building. If you happen to run a business out of a building, all kinds of things can be owned by the business and, and not by you. And it changes the way that, um, the, the way that uh, things like social security benefits look at this, the stuff that you own, if that matters to you for, for the types of benefits that you're going to, to receive. And, and because this is kind of a complicated topic, it's a great idea to get some one-on-one help, maybe from more than one person, uh, to figure out what the best approach is for you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and move to the next question. Yes, we'll go to Dawn. Hello. Um, I live in Wisconsin. I have permanent disability with, S- with Social Security. 
Um, I just turned 65, so this has been confusing for me. They said, I don't have SSDI anymore. I graduated to SSI retirement, but it's the same benefits. Nothing really changed, they said. They just called it something different. Um, I live in Wisconsin, so um, I had uh, Medicare disability and Medicaid MAP which is um, just like regular health insurance, but I have to do an act in kind or I have to work a regular job. I do an act in kind, which means I do something and I get something in return, but it doesn't go through the IRS. Um, so my first question to you is, how do I find out about this SS Curie? Who do I contact for that? I'm sorry, how do you find out about what? I didn't hear part of the what you S said. S.S. Curie, Curie that you were talking about before. How do I contact that person, get in contact with somebody? Oh, the, the benefits planning query? Yes. It Yes, you can just call the 800 number, 800-772-1213 for Social Security, and you can request it from them and they can mail it to you. Okay, so that takes care of one thing. Able account um, SSDI to SS retired. Am I able to still do that? Yes. Okay. If you, if you became blind before age 26. Correct. Okay, so... We're disabled. It doesn't... Right. Yeah. Right. So if I had RP... Um, if you had RP, in, this I, is... Yeah, this has been my argument. I had a woman when I worked in New York State who had a genetic eye condition. She wasn't diagnosed until the age of 30. And we just got a letter saying that it was genetic. So it started at birth. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I had, I had symptoms in fourth grade. I was That's diagnosed fine. with RP in college, but I wasn't legally blind until I was like around 50. It so doesn't do matter. Qualify for able. Yep. You, sh you sure of, do. Yeah. One of the qualifying things is something is a genetic condition. Okay. Yeah. I was getting confused. I'm sorry. Um, and then my mom has a life insurance policy where I was the owner and she has recently died. Is that, am I able to take that money and put that into the ABLE account and not lose any benefits? Depends on how big the social security or uh, how big the insurance policy is. Not much. It's like three, $4,000. Yeah. That you'd be then, fine yes, with you're that because there, yeah. there is an annual limit. Yep. As is, to how much you can put in. Do you know is, about how much the annual limit is? Is it under 10,000? No, 16. it's more than that. 16. Yeah. 16,000. And for those who are listening, if you're self-employed, there are ways to add more to an ABLE account. Right. Okay. And then the other question is, it says that you must use it for your own self. Right. That means I could I could um, take money out for eyeglasses because yes. I have to get special eyeglasses. Um, can I use it because I use my seeing eye dog for myself and they allow me to make those deductions with uh, food share. Am I able to get money out for my seeing eye dog for her insurance, for her doctor appointments, food and so and, and That's and a good question. You can take money out of an ABLE account for food for yourself. Uh, so y y the answer is yes. I would assume yes, but I'd have to, yeah. I would, yeah. I mean, if Chris is saying yes, he probably knows, but. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. Um, uh, so, uh, 
basically it's it's because uh, a service animal is considered to be a the extension a medical device yeah <laughs> it's okay. an extension of you i wasn't yeah. sure so i wasn't going to say without checking but yeah that makes yeah. sense when you have food share you can only spend that money on food so i'm assuming that right. this account will pick up the money for the non food items yep like yes. i go shopping yep yep Yep. And then it says it also it will take care of travel. Does it have to be for like ACB seminars or can it be like if I want to go visit my sister in Chicago, will it pick up those expenses? You could use it for those. Yes, because it's mm -hmm. for yourself. It's not for your sister to travel and come and see you. It's for you to go travel and see your sister for your well-being. Yeah. Wow. Now, now here's, here's a like uh, picking up all the extra money that I've had no place to be able to use it. So I guess with my mom dying, I could sit there and say, Mom, you just gave me a little bit more money to yeah. make my life a little better. <laughs> That's right. Now That's here's right. a here's an interesting nuance to this. Um if if you have a family and you uh, one transportation is one of the categories that that's a qualified disability expense. Um, so if you were to say purchase a car and that car was driven by somebody that lived with you and was used part of the time to drive you around, it doesn't need to be an adapted car or anything like that. Um, the current thinking by the able national resource center is that that qualifies as a qualified disability expense. The only time that it would not is if you bought a car for your sister that lives in a different city and is never going to drive you around in that car or might only when you visit her for, you know, two weeks out of the year. Thank you. We have time for one more very quick question. Okay, Nora, feel free to ask your question. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm from Phoenix, I'm sorry I'm from Phoenix Arizona and my question is um, uh, well first of all I'm on disability insurance because my parents well because of my extra disabilities not just blindness but uh, when my parents retired I was able to get SSD I instead of getting with SSI and Yes. And, yeah, that works. And I, but what happens if I go to work and my parents are still alive? Will I still get SSDI the same way? That would depend on, you know, what you were earning work-wise and the trial work months that, that I spoke about earlier. Uh -huh. um, depending on a couple of different factors, if you were to go off of Social Security disability benefits, um, your age would come into play and things like that. So you, that's something that you may want to explore um, because if you're over 30, you, yeah. I'm sorry, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm 59, 59. Okay. So yeah, in that case, if you were to go to work, you probably would go back on SSI because you would then have a work record of your own, but you wouldn't have enough work quarters of your own to be eligible for social security disability based on your age. Right. And also if my, if my parents die, then I would get back on SSI because I'm under, sort of under their, you know. You, your benefits actually would switch to survivor's benefits. Right. 
Thank you. Thank you. We got through all of them? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Nice. Okay. So in the last few minutes, I'd just like to thank everyone for coming. I'd like to provide a little bit of information. So again, this is the ACB Employment Committee. You can reach me, the committee chair, with any follow-up questions, information about our committee, et cetera, at Brooke with an E, B-R-O-O-K-E, underscore, Jostad, J as in Juliet, O as in Oscar, S as in Sierra, T as in Tango, A, D as in Delta, at Comcast.net. You can also find us on the Employment Committee website. We also have a podcast called Let's Get to Work. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And I would like to give Lori Scharf an opportunity to give her contact info if she is interested in this. Sure. It's, I'm going to give you my Gmail account, which I use for business and personal. So it's my first and last name at gmail.com. So it's L O. R-I-S as in Sam, C-H as in Harry, A-R, F as in Frank, F as in Frank, at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you. And then Chris, if you want to go ahead and provide your information one more time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So you can reach me a few different ways. Uh, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at pennyforward.com. Or through our 800 number, which is 888-332-5558. And if you missed any of that, you can find all of our contact information at pennyforward.com. And at the as, as a closing remark, I just want to reiterate that it's not too late for you. Whatever stage of life you are in, whatever situation you are in, there is support that can help you navigate this very, that can be seemingly very complex situation of SSI, SSDI, ABLE accounts, incentives, uh, ticket to work, all of the things that we've touched on today. There is support. Please reach out. Don't try to navigate it alone. That can often lead to discouragement and then work discouragement which a lot of people know can last for a long time and, and breed in your head into thinking that, that you can't achieve the things you want to achieve. So reach out, get support. Thank you all for joining, for hearing. Thank you for our, to our panelists for all the wonderful information you've provided. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of convention. You'll see the Employment Committee. Uh, we have a couple other presentations. And again, please listen to our podcast and reach out with any questions.